comes up, let me just say this. I was thinking earlier today, it was about a year ago, a little over a year ago that uh, Jordan spoke or preached his first big Sunday morning message in big church as we um, used to call it. Um, from that Sunday, he was introduced as the new student minister of our church and um, I've had the opportunity over the last year and a half just to meet with him every week and just walk through life together, disciple him, and um, just have, I've been so amazed by what God has done in this young man, what God is doing in this young man and his family's life, and um, just, just so excited about where God um, is taking them, where God is taking our faith family together. So um, I've had the, the blessing of being able to see some of the advanced notes today from the message, so I know where we're going and excited about it. Um, can't wait for you to, to catch up with where we know God has taken us. So I'm going to ask Brother Jordan to go ahead and come on up. If you can make him feel welcome this morning. Good morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, and I pray that you do, we're going to be in Matthew 12 this morning. So if you want to head over there, I will meet y'all there in just a moment. So Pastor Micah was nice enough to give me the opportunity to speak this morning, and he gave me free reign on what to preach on. So if you don't like the message, talk to him anyways. Um, this sermon, as said earlier, does have audience participation, so please stay awake. Um, Pay attention, because there is a pop quiz in the middle of this. So after spending time in the Word and in prayer, a question came to my mind. What are we known for? See, I think this is a really important question. See, my hope and prayer would be that I am known for as a man that loves Jesus, loves his family, loves his wife, loves his son, and loves his church. But sometimes that's not what we're known for, right? You know, a few years ago, I was probably more known as a barfly. And I don't think that is the most flattering thing to be known for. But I'm just not talking about what we are known for amongst friends, family, and peers. What are we known for spiritually? With camp being tomorrow, I felt this was a, an important question to examine and to examine what the Bible had to say on it. I think this is something someone of all ages should ask themselves. We have 19 youth, 5 adults going to Ridgecrest tomorrow, and every single one of us is known for something. Um, we know what we are known for, they know what they are known for, but more importantly, God knows what we do, how we do it, and why we do it. See, my hope and prayer is that these young men and women and these adults, including myself, grow in our relationship with Jesus, and that we grow in unity and in togetherness. May we come to see how Jesus sees us, and what we need to do to be more Christ-like in our following of him. Also, please play for us five adults going on this, that we don't lose our sanity amongst all that God is doing with these young men and women. You see, a lot of self-proclaimed Christians, and I'm going to use that phrase an awful lot this morning, think trying not to cuss and showing up to church regularly makes them a good Christian. I'm standing in front of you today telling you that is not the case. Following Jesus is so much more. See, Jesus wants it all. He wants all or he wants nothing. The thought of a person calling himself a Christian without being a devoted follower of Christ is ridiculous. See, this is absolutely biblical, church. Revelation 3.16. Because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. This is Jesus talking. If you aren't fully committed to Jesus and his ways, this is what Jesus is going to do. He is going to spit you out. Now, please understand before I really jump into this that I had one person and one person alone in mind when this sermon came to me. Me. So if you think I'm being tough or calling someone out, please understand that the person I'm calling out is myself. 
But let's go ahead and jump into this. In Matthew 12, verses 33 through 37, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. Jesus is going to use a couple of different metaphors to hammer the same point home. That what we say and what we do reveals who we really are. What we do outside of these doors reveals more about us and who we are than when we are sitting in these pews. If we are disciples of Jesus, how we talk, how we act, and how we carry ourselves matters. The first three verses are the metaphors, and the last two are why it matters. If you are able and willing, I would ask that we stand in reading God's word. We'll be reading Matthew 12, 33-37. And it says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your word you will be justified, and by your word you will be condemned. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. Uh, Just be with us this morning, Lord. Let our eyes, our mouths, our hearts, let everything that we have be on you this morning, Father. Holy Spirit, fill this room, convict us where we need to be convicted, Father, and just thank you for this opportunity to share your precious and holy word, Lord. Let your word be revealed today, not my own. I love you, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. This is Jesus telling the Pharisees what we do reveals who we are. See, the problem is in 2018, a lot of self-proclaimed Christians don't see it this way. There are self-proclaimed Christians out there who do not truly want to be saved from their sin. See, they want to continue to live life as they please. They only want to be saved from the consequences of their sin. See, they want Jesus as Savior, but they have no interest in a Lord. This way of life is not Christian. This way of life is not biblical. And this way of life does not lead to eternal life with Jesus. Uh, Francis Chan once said, We live in a time where Christians need to be told what they're supposed to look, or excuse me, I'm ruling that one. Francis Chan once said, we live in a time when Christians need to be told that they are supposed to live like Christ. That's weird. I know today's society would think that there is an increasing number of gray areas of right and wrong, and many Christians are falling prey to this, but the Bible does not change its stances. The Bible is clear. It's us that have muddied the water. See, I agree with Chan. It is weird that self-proclaimed Christians have to be told what is right and wrong in the eyes of the Lord. This is what Jesus is doing in this verses. He is telling the ultra-religious, the Pharisees, that did everything by the book. See, these people, they knew the law. They had it memorized. Outwardly, they did everything the right way. He is telling them that not only what we do matters, but how we do it, why we do it, those things matter. See, they weren't doing it for the right reasons. They didn't do it because they loved God. They did it for their self-righteousness. So the world would consider them to be blessed of God. Now this leads me into my three truths. I was going to do four, but I didn't want to break tradition. All right? So the first truth is everyone has a reputation. Jesus tells us right there in verse 33, a tree is known by its fruit. What are we known for? Everyone has a reputation, good, bad, or otherwise. Everyone has a reputation. Say reputation for me. All right, we're still paying attention. All right, good. A tree is known by its fruit. This is not the words of Jordan. These are the words of Jesus. 
We are either good and its fruit will be good, or we are bad and thus the fruits are bad. See, no one has ever seen an orange tree that made apples. What we do reveals who we are. See, the Pharisees had the reputation of being religious, but Jesus saw who they really were. He called them brood of vipers. This is what they were known to by Jesus. Now, don't gloss over this insult. This is quite the bold claim that Jesus is making. A brood of vipers is a family of snakes. Because vipers are venomous, Jesus was essentially calling these religious leaders deadly sons of serpents. See, I hate snakes. They can move, but they don't have legs. That is the devil. When Blair and I were first dating, uh, we got back to my house uh, from a date, and you had to turn the corner to get to the front door. And we hit that, uh, that turn, and I was in front of her, and I saw this. Man, this thing had to be like a 25-foot anaconda. <laughs> Blair looked up. She heard some woman scream. I don't know who that was. She looked up, and all she saw was the silhouette of where I was a second ago. Uh, in reality, it was probably a two-foot garden snake, but I hightailed it out of there. She was on her own. <laughs> See, I don't do snakes, and I'm just as surprised as you are that she still married me. Uh, but anyways, the, the Hebrew scriptures, which the Pharisees knew very, very well, they associate the serpent with Satan in Genesis 3. For Jesus to call the Pharisees a brood of vipers implies that they bore satanic qualities. The idea is clearly stated by Jesus in John 8:44, where he says the unbelieving Jews belong to their father, the devil. Just because we have the reputation of being religious doesn't make us right in the eyes of Jesus. Matthew 7, 21 through 23 is a prime example. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Many, not a few, many, That word is terrifying, is it not? Many will say, look at all the great things I did in your name, Jesus. And Jesus is going to reply, I never knew you. You know, these people did not love Jesus. They did things for their own good so they could stick out their chest and beat on it and say, look what I did. See, a lot of people work to create a reputation amongst peers. But God knows our true self. He knows what we really focus on and value. See, we spend time, you know, taking pictures of fun stuff we did, so we can show it to our friends or post it online. You know, you got to get that right angle for that selfie. Almost two-thirds of Americans have a Facebook. Americans spend roughly two hours a day on social media. Less than 20% of churchgoers read the Bible daily. But we have time for selfies. We have time for pictures of our food. We have time to watch mindless television. But when it comes to the Bible, we say we just don't have time. So we spend a lot of hours crafting a reputation, but God sees through it all. See, we're supposed to decrease so he can increase. We, as followers of Jesus, should live with the intent of being Christ-like, not because we think we are gaining merit or earning our way into heaven, or because we want people to think that we're, you know, really good Christians, but because we love Jesus. Amen? Amen. But we must also have the good reputation because when a non-believer comes into our church or into our lives, then they must see a difference. What's the point? What's the point of coming to church, believing in Jesus, picking up your cross daily, if a non-believer sees no difference in their life 
in your life, then there is no point. They see zero reason to come to Jesus unless they want a social club or just want a place to kill some time. 1 Timothy 3.7 tells us he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall, uh, fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. When we walk out of these doors and we go and do whatever we want to do, when we go and do whatever we want to say, talk any way we want to talk, then the people outside of these doors are going to think that we're hypocrites and full of baloney. They're going to say, if being a Christian is so great and so life-changing, then why does this person live and act exactly like me? We are supposed to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. We are supposed to be Christ-like. We aren't going to bring anyone, absolutely anyone, to Jesus if we look and act like the world. That is a fact. See, the Bible tells us in Romans 12 to not be conformed to this world. We are to be different than the people that live in the world. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not act like the people of this world because we are not of this world. Before I jump into the second truth, though, I'm going to leave you with a quote by David Platt. And it's going to be on the board or on the screens for you. Do you realize the weight of the one who has invited us to follow him? He is worthy of more than church attendance and casual association. He is worthy of total abandonment and supreme adoration. He is worthy of everything, absolutely everything, not everything except he is worthy of it all. He is definitely worthy of all that we are. I mean, we're nothing. We are absolutely nothing without Jesus. So surely we can do our best in him so he can use us to produce good fruit for the good of his kingdom. Amen. Moving on to the second truth. What we store in our hearts comes out of our mouth. What we store in our hearts comes out of our mouth. What we watch, what we read, what we look at has an effect on us. It does. See, I'm a high school English teacher. I've had some of the roughest kids in Jacksonville come through my classroom. Just last school year, I had a student that was arrested for grand theft auto, and in his possession, he had a sawed-off shotgun, drugs, and paraphernalia. This kid was 15 years old. Now, this kid, in every sense of the word, was not a bad student. He always did his work. He was respectful to me. But he idolized all the wrong things. See, he looked up to people that, you know, they were these alpha male cool guys. He thought people that cursed constantly, degraded women, did drugs, waved guns around. He thought people that acted like that were worth emulating. See, the movies he talked about weren't anything I'd want the youth to watch. The music he listened to wouldn't be anything I would want my grandmother to hear. My mother always told me growing up, friends will never lift you up but only drag you down. Uh, I'm not going to say that she is right uh, because it might get back to her, and I will never hear the end of that. But I definitely saw that in this young man. His mother was involved in his life. Met her on a couple occasions doing parent-teacher conferences and uh, things of that nature. He was taken care of. He was loved, but he stored up all the wrong things. I prayed for and continue to pray for this young man to turn his life around and to come to know Jesus. See, I've had quite a few students with very similar stories like this. See, he, they treasure up all the wrong things. The Bible tells us in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Don't believe that? Let someone hold onto your wallet or purse and see if you aren't following them around like a hawk. I mean, you worked hard for your money after all. Have you ever gone online and checked your bank account only to realize that somebody hacked in your account and now it said zero? Your heart dropped in an instant, didn't you? That's because your money went MIA. Your treasure went MIA, see? This verse isn't referring to money, though. 
unless that is the main thing you seek out. What these verses are really saying is what we value most is where our hearts will be. And what we value most depends on each individual. What we store in our hearts is our treasure, right? See, the Bible gives us all kinds of things to do with our heart. See, Proverbs 4.23 says we are to guard it. How are we guarding our hearts, though, when we are openly letting filth into it? See, Proverbs 23.26 says we are to give it to God. Psalm 26.2 says we are to have it examined. And Matthew 5.8 says, blessed are the pure at heart, for they will see God. Now, notice that, though, that Jesus said, you know, this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is part of the Beatitudes. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. I mean, there's a crowd around him, but he's mainly talking to Jesus. The crowd's secondary. And he says, for they will see God. Not that they will be in heaven. See, heaven's not the goal when we're disciples of Jesus. Being with God is the goal when we are followers of Jesus. Um, When I was preparing for this sermon, I came across Hebrews 10.22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with a heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I'm going to go ahead and break this verse down because I thought it was a very important verse. See, a true heart in this context is a cleansed and believing heart that is submissive to God. Heart sprinkled clean is Jesus' atoning work, purifying the inner person. How can either of these things happen when we watch and listen to filth? It can't. If you are storing up all the wrong things, you cannot draw near to God. You can't. Do not mistake the grace of Jesus to live like hell while you bank on heaven. That's not going to work. I'm going to say that one again because I think that one's really good. Do not mistake the grace of Jesus to live like hell while you bank on heaven. I know self-proclaimed Christians that can spout out sports facts, songs, lyrics to songs, quotes from TVs and movies like the back of their hand, but they cannot tell you five Bible verses. Jesus wept one i mean seriously church the bible says scripture is to be desired more than gold jc riley said and this is also going to be on the uh, screens for you read the bible daily make it part of your everyday business to read meditate on some portion of god's word gather your manna fresh every morning choose your own seasons and hours do not scramble over and hurry your reading give your bible the best and not the worst part of your day But whatever plan you pursue, let it be a rule of your life to visit the throne of grace in the Bible every day. See, but a lot of us use it as a paperweight for six days, and then we just bring it to church with us on the seventh. See, we have to store up scripture. If we really believe that this is God's word, we should be working on memorizing it so we can quote it like we can quote our favorite television shows and movies and songs and whatnot. Right? The Bible says it's sweeter than honey. For over a year and a half now, I've been meeting with the pastor where he is intentionally discipling me in the Word of God. He has spent countless hours showing me how to study the Bible. Right? He is making me a disciple who in turn make disciples. One of the ways that he has done this is by teaching me the REAP strategy. And that's, it's going to be on the board. See, I want to take a few moments and go over this strategy. When we're doing our daily reading, we're not supposed to just you know, do a little check mark next to it like we did it. There needs to be uh, intent behind what we're reading. And the REAP strategy is a Bible reading strategy. It stands for read, examine, apply, pray. And this is where the audience participation part comes in. So let's get ready. All right, so you're going to read whatever daily Bible reading you're doing. What does it say? What is a short summary of what you just read? What is God telling you? 
Then you're going to examine it. What is the deeper meaning of these passages? What is God's character showing? Then this is where we apply it. A lot of times we skip those first two parts and apply it to us. But we don't want to skip over the examine because a lot of times we can apply it wrongly. But what the text, apply the text to your own life. How do I need to repent? What truths do I need to believe? What false beliefs must I turn from? And then we write out a prayer to God, thanking him and showing us the errors of our ways or whatever we learned that, through that reading. Now what we're going to do is we're going to spend about five minutes. This is the audience participation part. If you look in your, uh, your bulletin, you'll see a paper that has the REAP strategy on it. And if you did not get one, maybe I can get an usher uh, to grab some of the papers in the back to pass them out. Um, but I want to spend about five minutes, and I want you to REAP Matthew 12, 33 through 37. This is how growth occurs, church. If you want to grow in your relationship in Christ, this is how it's done. So if we can go ahead and get a timer going, and we'll get five minutes on the clock, and I'm going to give you all five minutes, and this is the part where I'll be quiet now.
Okay, time's up. If you didn't finish, that's okay. This wasn't for a grade. <laughs> so, um, but I would encourage you to continue using this strategy with your um, daily Bible reading. And you, and I, you use this, I mean, you, you don't just check it off. You will see deliberate, intentional growth in your walk with Jesus. And if you do not have a Bible reading plan, we have two in the foyer. We have the F260, which is the one I use. I think it's better. Not that either one's wrong, but it takes you chronologically through the entire Bible. Um, we're about to get into the New Testament, so right now would be the perfect time to jump in if you haven't jumped in, and the other one takes you through the entire uh, New Testament. These are great tools to help you remember what the Bible has to say when circumstances arise. All right? Because in trying circumstances, Scripture is where our thoughts need to be. All right? Before I move on to the third and final truth, I'm going to leave you with a uh, quote by Green Bay Packer head coach, Hall of Famer Vince Lombardi. And he once said, watch your thoughts, they become your beliefs. Watch your beliefs, they become your words. Watch your words, they become your actions. Watch your actions, they become your habits. Watch your habits, they become your character. See, we have to watch our thoughts. And how we watch our thoughts is we watch what we watch. We watch what we listen to. We watch what we read. See, I can't help but think of that young man I mentioned earlier that was in my class. If he would have just watched his thoughts, he would be in a very different circumstance right now. And it's a slippery slope. See, it takes no discipline to do whatever you feel like doing. It takes no discipline to just talk any way you want to talk. But it takes discipline to be a follower of Jesus. See, it takes discipline to watch our tongues and according to Jesus, you know, we're going to be held accountable for the words we speak. This is the uh, third and final truth. We will be held accountable for the words we speak. See, verses 36 and 37 in Matthew 12 say, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. See, when Christ says every careless word, uh, he's, what he's conveying is eternal judgment. It waits for any who try to turn people against Jesus by slanderous accusations of blasphemy. By your, inward, uh, by your words, you will be justified means people's words will be outward evidence of their inward character. See, I never understood how in these award shows, these actors and actresses and these musicians can be in these movies and say some of the things that they say in their song lyrics and then when they go up to receive an award, the first thing out of their mouth is, I want to thank God. See, that doesn't make any sense to me. Did you not listen to what you, you said? I mean, or what you wrote that got you that award? See, you cannot act and live like the world and expect to get Jesus. How we act does not give us salvation, but how we act displays our salvation. See, Francis Chan said in his book, Crazy Love, lukewarm living and craming and claiming Christ's name simultaneously is utterly disgusting to God. This is the epitome of lukewarm living. Doing whatever we want during the week and praising God for it all. These self-proclaimed lukewarm Christians are destroying what it really means to be a disciple for Christ. See, our negative words and actions have tremendous, tremendous weight to them. Far more than the kind of things, uh, far more than the nice things we say to people. I want to do a little exercise real quick. I'm not asking you to do push-ups, not that kind of exercise. I want you to close your eyes for me. 
I want you to try and recall the 15 best compliments you have ever gotten in your entire life. By a show of hands, who could recall 15 great compliments? All right. Now, I want you to try and recall the 15 biggest hurts and insults you have ever gotten. By a show of hands, who could really recall 15 really hurtful things? All right, you can open up your eyes now. I had y'all close your eyes in case it backfired. I could, you know. But I definitely saw, actually no one raised their hands during the compliments, but I definitely saw more hands raised for the insults and hurts than the compliments. See, this little exercise shows us that negative always sticks harder than the positive. See, I'm willing to go on a limb and say that those insults and hurts affect you more to this day than any compliment you've ever received. See, we have to watch our mouths. We can say 99 nice things, but that one hurtful thing, that's what's going to stick. See, Proverbs 8.21 tells us, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Words have meaning. They can bring great joy and admonishment, but they can also leave deep wounds and scars that cannot be seen or easily be healed. One small word can do so much good, but it can also do so much bad. The power of the human tongue is what makes a child think they are going to amount to nothing or they're going to amount to everything. That is the power of the tongue. All right, James 1.26 says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Is there someone you know who seems to be religious but just can't keep his tongue under control? James has a word for them. If someone really thinks he's a religious person but lies, deceives, and can't control his tongue, then that person's religious, uh, religion is totally, totally worthless. It's one thing to say you're a Christian, but sometimes our words betray us. They reveal what's in our heart. See, James had even more to say on this matter. James 3.9, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. See, James is clearly breaking it down for us right there. It is a total hypocrisy to come in here and praise God and then walk out and curse someone made in God's image. And in case you're wondering, everyone was made in the image of God, even your annoying coworker. And the last one I'm going to bring up is Ephesians 5.4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. See, the contrast to foolish talk and crude joking is being thankful. See, having a thankful heart will diminish any ill will or work uh, that you're doing, you have towards people. Now that we have clearly seen what the Bible says about using the tongue, for negative reasons, let's take a quick look to see how we combat this. How do we combat an evil tongue? See, the Bible tells us in 2 Peter uh, 1, 5 through 11, make every effort to supplement your uh, faith with virtue, virtue meaning goodness, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
But whoever likes these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to conform your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be, a, be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So according to these verses, we're to make every effort to live a godly life. This is a catalog of biblical virtues. These are the things a transformed heart will desire and feature. God calls believers to faith through the gospel and God's grace in salvation should, by, should not be taken for granted. Growing in Christ-like virtues will give believers increasing confidence that God really did call them and really did elect them. Where it says, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall, probably uh, means falling away from the faith. We all know someone who is no longer actively pursuing a relationship with Jesus who at one time was. Peter is telling us a surefire way in these verses on how to avoid that treacherous pitfall. Have faith with goodness, knowledge, self-control, godliness, and love. We can't be these things when we can't control how we talk to people. And our tongues are bridled when we are living this way. Hi, youth. The Apostle Paul tells us in the first letter to the church of Corinth to do everything in love. If we do that, then everything else falls into place. We can't be lukewarm Christians inside of love. Our tongues don't cause hurts and pain inside of love. We aren't worried about a false facade when we are inside of love. If we are doing everything in love, then we are being Christ-like, which is a goal of a disciple. See, I'm going to leave us with a quote by J.C. Ryle that says, Do nothing that you would not like God to see. Say nothing you would not like God to hear. Write nothing you would not like God to read. Go no place where you would not like God to find you. Read no book of which you would not like God to say, show it to me. Never spend your time in such a way that would not, or never spend your time in such a way that you would not like to have God say, what are you doing? This is how we keep our hearts pure and our eyes on Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. And just thank you for this time in your word, Father. Help us bridle our tongues, Father. Help us keep pure hearts that are focused on you, Lord, for we want to see you one day, Father. Just be with us. Thank you for this time. We love you, Jesus. Amen.